1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by the returning Bob Phelan, who is back with us this week after a week off, and Nick Stevens. Um, on The Verge is part of Baltimore Sports & Life Radio. And on tonight's episode, we're going to get into our minor league all-stars for the Orioles 2021 season. That's honoring the players with the best stat lines, more so than the top prospects. But I think you'll find, in a lot of cases, those were one and the same. So we'll touch on that, as well as an Arizona Fall League preview, as several Orioles prospects are now out in Arizona for some postseason play. We'll get to this show in a moment, but first, On The Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet 1. Mercer is a third-generation family business. that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So um, just to start off, as I mentioned, Bob is back this week after a week off. Um, And a special thank you to our friend uh, Connor Newcomb over at Locked On Orioles for giving Bob a uh, rehab assignment as he discussed the Aberdeen Ironbirds uh, with Connor today. Uh, Nick was on last week to talk about the um, Norfolk Tides. So a couple of appearances over there to check out uh over at locked on Orioles
2: yeah you know it was it was nice to get some rhythm back in there and you know I'm not not feeling too sore after that appearance so here I am I'm back in the big leagues
0: well it's good to have you back and we will uh get right into our minor league all-stars for the 2021 season as I mentioned in the intro this is really about honoring the players that had the best stats in 2021 it's not a top prospects list that's something we do separately um what was interesting was that I felt that the process, which was kind of the same that we used for the top prospects, uh, we each submitted our own lists, and then that went into a weighted system that Bob put together to produce the final list. Um, kind of showed the same results, where we agreed on a lot of the big picture stuff, but then there were some differences as you move down the list. And we'll talk about the final list, as well as some of the players that didn't make the cut. And if you want to refer to the list, either while you're watching this on a live stream, or while you're listening to the audio version of this, it's up on Baltimoresportsandlife.com now with reports written by Nick. And we'll start off with catcher. No surprise here, Adley Rutzman was chosen as a catcher on our All Star team. Not only is he the best prospect in all of minor league baseball, but he had an excellent 2021 season between the Bowie Bay Sox and the Norfolk Tides. And I'll start with Nick here. Um, while we do like some of the other catching prospects in the Orioles system, there was really no contest here, was there?
1: No, not at all. I mean, he had about double uh, the number of at-bats as number two on the list Brett Cumberland did when you look at the overall leaderboards. And, I mean, he's a top prospect in baseball for a reason. Uh, and so we we do like a lot of the other catchers in the system, Maverick Hanley, and uh, you know, we talk about Ramon Rodriguez probably a little bit later in the show, Samuel Pasalo. We like a lot of these guys, but... Um, A lot of them are defensive catchers, so, you know, the offensive stats aren't around yet, but Adley Rutschman, 25 doubles, 23 home runs, an OPS of, uh, I forget what it was, his overall OPS for the year was... uh, Right around 900, wasn't it? Yeah, 899. Uh, So, I mean, yeah, nothing you could argue there. It was a stone-cold block pick there.
2: Yeah, it was unquestionable, you know. Maybe he bats a little bit better from the right-handed side. That's the only nitpick I could say, but he's still got an OPS over 800 from the left-handed side, and and he's he's the number one prospect for reason, as Zach said, and he he proved it statistically. And yeah, there's really not much more we can say about Adley Rutschman. He's just he's the man. Let's get him up to the big leagues. Let's let's graduate him onto a a good a good roster instead of just having a good uh, prospect.
0: Well, and, you know the offense is the easy thing for us to quantify because we have a lot more data available to us than we do on defense, but it, everything that we saw on defense for him this year backs up everything you've heard, which is that he's such an advanced catcher behind the plate, not just with blocking balls in the dirt and throwing out base runners, which he does very well, but with calling the game. This is someone who already is a good catcher on both sides of the ball.
2: Yeah, it just seems like he makes his pitchers better, which is, I would think, the number one asset you want in a catcher. You know, you want that rapport. You want the – it's not like with the Braves. They had Javi Lopez who could mash the ball, but it seemed like the pitchers never wanted to throw to him. Uh, Greg Maddox always had his personal catcher, so it looks like Adley could be Javi Lopez. And I'm trying to remember one of the backup Braves catchers, but – and a personal catcher for everybody
0: sort of a fusion of uh, Javi Lopez and Eddie Perez, I think was Maddox's personal catcher for a lot of there years. There you go. There you go. So we'll move over to the infield now, where we did have some close calls, but in the end, I think we put together a pretty solid infield. At first base is JD Bundy, who emerged with a big 2021 season between Del Marva and Aberdeen after being chosen as an undrafted free agent in 2020. He's a guy that undoubtedly would have been drafted had there been a longer draft. In 2020, but the Orioles were able to get him as a free agent, and he came through as a big year. At second base, Taryn Bavra, the guy who was seen as the centerpiece of the Michael Gibbons return uh, from the Rockies at, in 2020, he came through with good numbers of buoy despite missing significant chunks of time due to injury. At shortstop, this probably doesn't come down as too much of a surprise. Jordan Westberg gets the nod there after a big professional debut in 2021. Uh, Right there in the 2020 draft class with Westberg was Kobe Mayo, who was selected as our third baseman. And then Gunnar Henderson ends up as the DH. So just to address that right away, we did not leave Gunnar off. He ended up at DH as a matter of voting, although not all three of us had him at DH, which I'll get into in a moment. But we'll start with Mundy here. Uh, Only appeared in 72 games, but finishes with 15 homers, a 925 OPS, Actually was promoted to Bowie, but it never appeared there because of his injury. So I'll start with you uh, on this one, Bob. Mundy only appears in 72 games, but I think the results speak for themselves. Was there any hesitation for you to not go with Mundy uh, this, you know, because of the limited time?
2: Honestly, not really. I mean, like we've talked about, that first base is kind of like a rising position now in this uh, iteration of the Orioles minor leagues because you got T.T. Bowens, you got J.C. Ascara, but Andrew Doshbach, Tyler Nevin, but J.D. Mundy, he mashed. When he was playing, he mashed. He had a 145 WRC plus, you know, total. And it just, if he would have stayed healthy, it would have, might have been up there with uh, Rutschman and Stowers for minor league player of the year. I doubt it, but, you know, he would have been able to put up those type of numbers. So for me, it was pretty easy choice and one of the biggest surprises in the system coming into this year, I would not have thought he would end up on a list like this. So that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. As a Virginia guy, it's pretty cool to see a, a Radford kid come up here and make so much noise. But um, this was a little bit of a tough decision for me just because I think I initially had Dashbach as my first baseman, 16 home runs, 19 doubles, pretty good numbers overall, but you know, he had the high number of strikeouts. And so, and then Toby, Toby Welk and JC Ascara kind of had the low batting averages, but JD Monday, I felt like was just consistent overall I almost thought about Jacob Teeter as well. That was a difficult, uh, for me at least, like how do we compare the, the DSL guys and the GSL guys with their limited amount of time? Teeter definitely had a great season in Delmarva, but I ultimately went with Monday too. I think he had the highest, you know, WRC plus and OPS in the minor league system. Uh, fewer at bats, a little fewer, about 100, so fewer at bats than everybody else, but still uh, dominant numbers. And uh, the only other name that I think could really Give him a run for his money here
0: was T.T. Bowens. That was a tough name to leave off Leave off the list, I think, in my opinion. Yeah, I gave Dasbach and Bowens both a close look. Bowens was really number two for me behind Mundy, but I just thought that Mundy was the most complete hitter of that trio and that had he played a full season or closer to a full season, the numbers would have reflected that. So it, it was a tough call because, as Bob said, we have saw – A lot of first-base prospects raised their stocks this past season, but I didn't feel like any of them came that close to Monday in terms of overall production. And we have a similar situation at second base. As Taron Vavra gets a nod, despite the fact that injuries limited him to just 48 games this season, 40 of those were spent at Bowie. The other eight were rehab appearances. At Bowie, he only hits 248, but it finishes an 818 OPS, five homers, 10 doubles. Um, walked 29 times against 42 strikeouts, which is a good number. Everything you hear about him, um, when we talked to Ryan Fuller, talked about what a smart baseball player he is. I will admit that I almost went with Connor Norby at second base. Um, I thought that Norby was really impressive after coming out of the 2021 draft, and I didn't think that any of the second basemen that appeared in more games than players like Vavra and Connor Norby – were necessarily worthy of that spot, but Vavra to me was just, you know, as good as advertised when he was healthy this year. And I honestly believe that had he been healthy, the Orioles probably would have found room for him in Norfolk or he would have just dominated Bowie all year.
2: Yeah, I agree. I I was between him and Norby and Jemai Jones was kind of knocking on the door there a little bit. If he would have kept up his hot streak that he had in June, was it then definitely he could have made a case for that. But even though Vavra was injured for maybe half the season, when he was in there, especially to start the year, I mean, there was no one hotter uh, in any of the minor league lineups than Taron Vavra was. I mean, the kid was just smacking singles the opposite field, mashing doubles into the gaps, pulling some balls over the fence. He's this exciting player, and his numbers dipped a little bit, but I would have to maybe attribute that to the injuries. So, yeah, I think he's an exciting player, and he – he performed strong enough in a short sample size to get the nod for me. Yeah,
1: the most exciting thing for me about Vaver is that I think he, based on the numbers and what we saw him in that limited role in Bowie, I think he performed just like the type of player we were all hoping he would be. So that was really awesome to see. Um, I debated this one long and hard. This was the, the hardest decision, I think, for me. And I actually spent a lot of time debating between like Jemai Jones and Gene Carmona just because there weren't that many like great options here. Um, I didn't have Vavra on my personal list because of the time he missed, but I ended up going with Frederick Ben Cosme, a guy that Zach pointed out in one of our, I think last week, on our final uh, kind of under-the-radar segment. 18-year-old down in the, D- in the Dominican Summer League, two home runs, six doubles, four triples, three ten average, 10 stolen bases in 44 games. I just felt like comparatively speaking, you know, 44 games in the DSL, he played a full season – one of the better offensive performers in the DSL this year, at least statistically. Uh, obviously we don't have video or anything to to back that up. But I like those numbers there. So I went with Ben Cosme, but can't argue against Taryn Vaver. When he was in the lineup, like you guys said, he
0: he was a really solid hitter. And I'm very excited to watch him play, hopefully in the major league level next year. Yeah, I thought Ben Cosme was actually a pretty interesting pick because like you said, Nick, um, so there's a lot of promise from the left side and an infielder. I'm really curious to see what he does as a Florida Complex League next year. He feels like he could be one of those guys that young, athletic, up-the-middle uh, player who can hit might be a guy that rises pretty quickly um, when he starts playing at higher levels. So we'll go over to third base now where Kobe Mayo ends up getting the nod. In 53 games this season between the Florida Complex League and Delmarva. Mayo hit 319 with 981 OPS, belted nine home runs uh, with 29 walks to 40 strikeouts. And here's something interesting that I did not realize until right now because I was not paying attention to this during the season. He went 11 for 11 in stolen base attempts. Uh, Sort of a random number to throw out there, but tells you that he's got some speed and that athleticism for me was reflected in the way that he played third base this year. Got 27 games there between the two levels. Actually, he got 27 there at Del Marva. He got more of the Florida Complex League. But if you saw him play third base at all, you know that the arm strength and the footwork are pretty good. And that after, at least for me, after seeing him this year, I became convinced that he could stick at third base long term, despite already being 6'5", 215 pounds at 19 years of age. Mayo narrowly missed my list, which I'll get into in a minute. But I'll start with Nick here. Um, we were all excited for Mayo this year, but I don't think our expectations were quite this high.
1: No. I mean, I think – I know Stephen Loftus had me excited, uh, super excited about Kobe Mayo coming into the year or right after the draft uh, when he said, you know, this could be the guy that Orioles fans look back at 10 years from now and say – that's exactly why we went Heston Kershaw with the number one overall pick because we wanted Kobe Mayo at the end of the day. Um, the numbers are just fantastic in that small sample size. Yeah, the stolen base numbers were pretty cool. I did throw that in the article as well, just because I thought it was fascinating. Uh, but again, lower levels of the minor leagues were kind of like, a—I heard him described as like a track meet down there because, you know, it's the different rules and such <clears throat> that were uh, rule changes that happened to lower levels of the minor leagues, but still not taking anything away from Kobe Mayo mm-hmm. there. The numbers were fantastic in that small sample size, 19 years old, and he really didn't strike out too much either, uh, which was impressive. I mean, comparatively speaking, he had a pretty high strikeout rate, I think, compared to some of the other guys in Del Delmarva, some of those draft picks. But uh, those were like astronomically low strikeout rates to try to compare to. So a good season for Kobe Mayo, good debut, and uh, very, very excited to see this guy, how, how fast or how high he climbs next year in the minor league system.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, the walk numbers, the strikeout numbers, they're actually pretty refined, pretty polished for a young kid like him that's a big power hitter. If he gets off to a hot start in Averty next year, watch out. I mean, this guy could be in Bowie by July. So at what, 20 years old, 21 years old. So pretty awesome. Yeah, this was tough for me. It was between him and Gunnar Henderson. But I just think if he would have, you know, performed the way he did in the FCL and came up and was just average to pedestrian and low A, but no, he came up and played just as good, if not better, against the better competition. So I, I just had to put him in there with his 162 WRC+. plus.
0: So we'll move over to shortstop now, and this was a position where I think there was some tough competition, but still not much of a surprise who ends up as a starting knot at shortstop, and that's Jordan Westberg. Ended up playing at three levels starting at Delmarva this season, and across the board appeared 112 games with 285 average, 868 OPS, and sowing that power-speed combo that many hoped that he could sow once he got into the minors as he belts 15 home runs while stealing 17 bases in 22 attempts. And the interesting thing for me about Westberg was that he overcame slow starts twice. The first was after he went to Aberdeen, and then the second was after he went to Bowie, as he was really heating up towards the end of the season at Bowie, and I think was a big reason why the Bay Sox we're able to get over that hump on the final day of the season and clinch the spot in the double a Northeast championship series. And while, as I mentioned, there were several good options at shortstop, we could have gone with Gunnar Henderson, Joey Ortiz. If we had had a half season list, might've had the spot knocked, uh, locked down. Daryl Hernandez, I think may have even had an interesting argument for there. This ended up being unanimous. All three of us had Westberg as shortstop. Um, so, Bob, I know that there is a lot of good things to say about Westberg, but um, what what were your thoughts on his season?
2: I mean, what's not to like? I mean, the guy has power to all fields, maybe not big power, but he's got that line drive power that can just carry over the fence. And he's got to be Matt Blood's favorite player because, you know, he loves a guy that struggles right away and then adjusts and, and and mashes after that. And that's exactly what Westberg does. Hopefully, you know, we'll keep that in mind next year when, when he's getting started in AAA and maybe he doesn't you know, bash the door down right away. And even when he makes his major league debut, just be patient with him. Cause he's, he's a guy that learns on the fly and he adjusts well. So that was the thing I think we learned the most about. It wasn't that he just feasted upon the uh, no spin low A league, as Kyle Glazer put it. So he, he came up and he performed well against better competition too. And while he should, because he's a college guy, it's still better to go out and do it than, than not.
1: Yeah. The thing for me, the thing for me here when deciding the final list was, yeah, I definitely had Kobe Mayweather at third base that was his primary position. Uh, when going with shortstop, uh, I Westberg was the, the the deciding factor if I can get it out there. The deciding factor for me was defense, actually. To be honest, I felt Westberg's defense at shortstop was a lot better, more refined at least. So that's why I went with Westberg at shortstop, and then. When I was looking at it, I didn't actually even know if we were doing DH or not. I did this like 1230 in the morning one night earlier this week. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to make a DH spot because we cannot leave Gunnar Henderson off this list. And I really wanted Kobe Mayo on this list as well. Uh, So that's why I had Gunnar Henderson at shortstop. But it was just the defense that separated it for me when it came to Westberg. But the most impressive thing offensively, that I enjoyed from Westbrook this season was that power because we didn't really know what to expect from him, and he had 15 home runs and 27 doubles across three levels. So, you definitely love to see that from a draft pick and 2020 draft pick. I wrote this in the article. You know, Servideo got hurt. Uh, Carter Ballmer had the Tommy John surgery. dad, obviously, the myocarditis. So, we didn't really get to see much any of the 2020 draft class uh, up to this point. So, it was good to see Westbrook find some early success.
2: And even Mayo didn't get started until what late June. So. Yeah.
0: You know, Westburg, I, I agree with you, Nick. I think that if you want to separate Westburg and Henderson right now, at this point in time, Westburg's defense is better. You might give Henderson an advantage in terms of arm strength, but I think in just about every other area, Westburg is the better shortstop. And I think that while the Orioles have to find ways to get both of them at bats when they're on the same team, which hopefully they will be for years to come, and you want to give both players some element of versatility, my sense after this season is that the Orioles can try to develop Jordan Westbrook at shortstop for as long as they want to. You know, if they want to bring him to the big leagues as a shortstop and stick him there for a while, they can. Or you know, if they find that once he's healthy, Joey Ortiz is a better fit there, they can move Westbrook over to third. But I think either way, this is a guy that is going to settle somewhere in the infield and has the profile right now of a possible 2020 threat at his peak because... We heard a lot about his raw power coming out of Mississippi State. But the question was, can he put that in the game, action? And he did that across three levels this year and did it, you know, spending a lot of his time in Aberdeen, which the numbers showed over the 2021 season was a pitcher's park. And Westbrook was still putting up good numbers there.
1: Yeah, that's and- a good point. Okay, Nick. I was going to say, when he got promoted to Bowie, the, the talk was he was going to be the primary shortstop at Bowie, even though they had so many middle infield guys, um, even though they were kind of decimated with injuries uh, at Bowie all year up the middle. But they still had a number of middle infield guys on that roster going into the playoffs. But they said, no, Westberg's the primary shortstop there. And like Zach mentioned, looking at next year, I mean, does Mason McCoy return to the organization next year? I don't know if he's a minor league free agent at this point or not. Uh, but Caden Grenier obviously ended the year in AAA. They had no issues, it seemed like, moving him over to second base to finish out the year, so I think I wouldn't be shocked if we saw Westberg, maybe with a good spring training, maybe
2: as the starting shortstop for Norfolk next year. Yeah, I could definitely see that. And to give people a perspective on Westberg, for me, like the way he hits the ball, it kind of reminds me of Austin Hayes. He's aggressive, and he just lines things all over the place, except, He can take a walk. He'll probably have a double the walk rate that Austin Hayes has, so that's good.
0: So we'll go now to the designated hitter, and it's someone who actually spent a lot of this year on the left side of the infield with Westbrook, and that's Gunnar Henderson, who coming into this season was sort of a borderline top 100 prospect. He was one of those players that a lot of big outlets mentioned as, you know, someone who received consideration but ultimately didn't make the top 100. Uh, very quickly, he flipped that to consensus top 100 prospect, thanks to a really strong 35-game stretch at Delmarva, where he hit eight homers and a 944 OPS. He ended up playing at Aberdeen and Bowie before the season was over. Didn't hit quite as well as those two levels, but much like with Westberg, um, Henderson got off to a really slow start at Aberdeen before catching fire, and the one thing that was great about him all year was that he managed to draw walks even when he was in a slump. And that, no doubt, contributed to his 351 base percentage. Uh, across the board in 105 games, he had 17 homers with a 258 average and an 826 OPS while spending time at both shortstop, third base, and DH, which is where he lands on our all-star team. Uh, obviously, for a guy that's not even 21 years old yet, and this was his first full season in pro ball, this was impressive to see what he did, but Bob, can you kind of give us a sense of maybe above the stat line, why Westberg or excuse me, Henderson is regarded as such a good prospect.
2: I think it's just his swing. It's freaking, it's a nice swing. It's uh he's got fast bat speed. You can see, just feel the confidence radiating radiating off of him. He's not like a cocky kid, but he's like, he just, he knows how good he is and he's going out there and he's doing it in his shows. And yeah, it's just got a nice swing from the left side. He hits the ball to all fields. I think I was looking at his spray chart. He gives 33% opposite field, like 38% side, and 25% up the middle, so he can hit it anywhere. Power is mostly opposite field right now, but he can turn on a ball. Yeah, I mean, and he's, he'll be 20 years old at the start of next season, too. He won't turn 21 until, I think, July. So, yeah, it's, it's good to keep that in mind, his age, compared to where he is at his level, and it's very impressive.
1: But Michael Elias doesn't promote prospects. He slow plays this whole thing. Like, no, twenty years old. That's it. That's what makes this guy so special. He's four years younger than the rest of the competition at Double A. And I mean, yeah, the strikeouts were ginormous. Like, there's no denying that. But when you watch this guy, like, he knows the strike zone. For a guy that strikes out a lot, he knows exactly where that ball is. He knows exactly what the strike zone is. Uh, so I think <clears throat> with age, like he's going to turn things around and he's going to find that, uh, you know, being so much younger than everybody. It, we had Spencer Torkelson on the latest uh, MLB Pipeline podcast. I know I probably shouldn't like mention that as like Orioles fans they are like the the no no guys right now because of the whole Ryan Mountcastle debacle. But, um, you know, they had Spencer Torkelson on there and he's like, look, t- describing what he had to adjust to at the upper levels of the minor leagues. And you have a guy like Spencer Torkelson up there saying, yeah, I struggled when I first got this promotion. And this is what makes the pitchers at the older levels so much better. I think that makes what Pat or Gunnar Henderson did at the age of 20 uh, even more impressive, in my opinion. So a uh, very special prospect that I think we're going to be hearing a whole lot about uh, next season.
2: And on. one thing that I um, I noticed when I was doing some research, as you'll hear about on our daily player recaps later in this week when I do my Gunnar Henderson one, uh, he really, he mashed right-handed pitching at all levels. Like, his big weakness right now, I think, is hitting left against lefties. He batted 195 in Delmarville against lefties and 194 against lefties in Aberdeen. He batted 360 and, like, 260 against righties comparatively. So, something to keep an eye on, short sample size, obviously. And I don't know how, you know, I haven't really followed enough players as they're coming up at that young age. It's like, how long does it take for you really start to hit your, you know, Same side pitching better, but just something to watch out for.
0: I do want to mention this because it's current right now with the Dodgers in the playoffs. They'll be playing game five of the NLDS against the Giants on Thursday. The constant player comp that gets thrown out for Gunnar Henderson when someone's looking at what's this guy's ceiling is Corey Seager. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of player comps, but when I watch Seager swing and when I watch Gunnar Henderson swing, I see some real similarities. And it's also that there are tall guys who hit from the left side. Seager has managed to stick at shortstop in the major leagues. Henderson, I think, will stick somewhere on the left side of the infield. So do, what do you guys think about that? Is that actually maybe not necessarily a valid comp, but that you can kind of look at those two and see the similarities?
1: I think so. I mean my thought was when he when Corey Seager becomes a Yankee and we have Gunnar Henderson coming up like it won't even matter that they got Corey Seager cuz we'll have our own Corey Seager over here who's even younger and better so
2: Yeah, I can definitely see where people are coming from with that comparison. Yeah, he's a big kid. I think uh Seager's probably a better defensive shortstop in the long run because I don't really know if Henderson would be able to stick there. He's he's a little bit uh mechanical at shortstop to me, so We'll see. Maybe he's still going to improve there. He's only 20 years old. So I think he'll definitely be at least be a really solid third baseman. Maybe the Kyle Seeger is the real uh, (laughs) comparison.
0: So I will mention here that the one area where I differed in the infield um, with Henderson and Westbrook is I had Henderson as my third baseman with Patrick Dorian as my DH. Dorian, um, you know, if you were putting together a top prospects list, would certainly not be ranked ahead of Mayo, Westbrook or Henderson. But the reason I had him on my roster and not Bayo was a Dorian full season was really one of the best power hitters in a farm system. Had a lot of good power hitters this year, 22 homers and eight fifteen OPS. And while he was 25 at double a, we're also looking at a guy that did not have a lot of professional experience coming into the 2021 season, just one full season in the minor leagues prior to that, which was back in 2019. So I went with Dorian, but I can't disagree with the logic of putting Mayo on there.
2: Yeah, I really wanted to find a way to get Dorian on the list. If we were doing filling out a bench, he definitely would be on there. But I just couldn't justify it over Mayo and, and all those guys. So I'm glad you at least gave him a shout out there.
1: Yeah, that was a tough one for me to leave off too because I absolutely love the Patrick Dorian story this year. I loved watching him play all year long. Uh, it was really great that the Orioles gave him an opportunity to get a couple of bats at AAA to close out the year as well. 20, 22 home runs, 21 doubles. I mean, fantastic numbers. Um, The only thing that, that knocked him down a little bit for me was the 242 average. Like I saw that. And when you compare like what Kobe Mayo did and, and what Westberg did, it was hard for me to put Dorian on the list, but we definitely, you know, it was great that we can't, you know,
0: we can't just keep moving on without mentioning Patrick Dorian's fantastic season in Bowie. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll now move on to the outfield where three players with breakout seasons get the nod, and that is Kyle Stowers, who shared organizational player of the year honors with Adley Rutzman after hitting 27 home runs between Aberdeen, Bowie, and Norfolk, joining him the outfielder, Zach Watson, the surprise 2020 center fielder who had a big first uh, full season in the minor leagues, and Robert Newstrom, who... Emerged basically as the highlight reel home run hitter in the Orioles farm system. But aside from those highlights was just a good power hitter throughout the season between Bowie and Norfolk. So I know we're going to talk about Stowers a little bit more later on when we talk Arizona fall league, but I do want to start with him because this is a guy that maybe had the best season overall of any Orioles hitter, 27 homers, 23 doubles, an 893 or an 898 OPS You know, strikeouts were a concern, which, you know, is something we knew coming in with Stowers, but he also drew 73 walks. So this is a guy that can take his Ferrisero walks, hit for a good average this year. So I'll start with uh, Nick on this one. We knew that Stowers could hit a little bit coming into this year, but I don't think we quite saw this type of reduction coming. And not only that, but I think the three of us probably feel that it is sustainable, at least in some way going forward. Do you agree? Uh, no doubt. I think it's
1: a uh, pretty sustainable progress we saw from Stowers only because for me, what cements that thought is that when he got moved up to AAA, yeah, the power wasn't necessarily there, but like the overall game I felt like was more so there with Kyle Stowers, uh, more singles, more doubles, more line drives. So that's what I liked. Um, you know, he led all Oros minor league hitters with 27 home runs. He had 23 doubles on top of that. Yeah, the strikeouts were enormous, but I really love that uh, Rock Kabatko had that mailbag article over the weekend. And someone asked about the strikeouts, like, should we be concerned? Are the Orioles concerned? And Rock said, absolutely not. Like, this guy hits the ball extremely hard. He's a great hitter. And he hit 278 for the year. Like, I was not expecting that. I could see him hitting 20-plus home runs a year pretty easily, but I did not expect him to hit 278 and walk 73 times in 124 games. Uh, So that's what makes me think Kyle Stowers is the truth. And with a hot Arizona Fall League, keep the good momentum going and he can roll right into spring training and maybe, maybe take an outfield job next year at the major league level. I know that's that's best case scenario. That's being pretty optimistic there. But at least Kyle Stowers would enter 2022 as one of the hottest names, I think, in this entire system.
2: Yeah, I think he has probably the best in-game power of anyone in the system. I mean, the ball just flies off his bat. And maybe he only hits like 260, 270 at the major league level, but as long as he can continue to work on that plate discipline, take the walks, who cares if he strikes out? If he's if he's hitting for a decent average, he's walking, he's hitting for power. What more could you ask for? And he plays a good outfield. So he's really close to a five tool player. So shout out to him.
0: So another outfielder in this list is another lefty with good power, and that's Neustrom. Hit 16 home runs this season with a 790 OPS between Norfolk and Bowie. He actually hit more home runs at Norfolk than he did at Bowie um, in just about the same amount of games. Nine homers in 64 games at A level compared to seven in 62 games at AA. This was a guy who was solid in 2019 between three levels, but had also missed a lot, some time with injuries. Seemed to be getting lost in the shuffle a little bit as the Orioles' outfield depth improved leading up to the 2021 season. Yet I think he now goes into the offseason as a guy that you could legitimately look at as a possible 40-man roster addition even with a little bit of a slump to end the year in AAA which outside of better information I would just attribute to it being a long season, career high of 126 games. But um I'll go with Bob on this one. I don't know that any of us saw this type of year from News from coming. And it was just impressive.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And especially after the way he started his first month, if you cut that out and then maybe the last week or two of the season, his numbers are like right up there with anybody. So obviously you can't do that. A season is a season. But just it felt like he, you know, coming off of some injury ridden seasons and missed 2020, it took him a little bit of time to get into a groove. But once he did, I mean, the power is just tenacious. It's freaking it's monster moonshots like 480 feet or whatever. So watch out warehouse, but yeah, I think maybe he just got tired out at the end of the season or let's just I mean, it was a slump. I mean, he batted 05, 0.50 he batted 50 over uh, the last week of the season. It happens, but the he I wanted to definitely get him on this list just because, you know, it's a good story of a guy who was never really a big prospect at all, but came from a college and was a good hitter in college and and has just had some injuries that he's dealt with and finally putting it all together here and making it to AAA, and probably going to make it to the majors mm-hmm. next year. It's pretty cool.
1: Yeah. I think he might've been a back-end top 30 guy early, early in his career right after the Orioles drafted him. And that was when this farm system was pretty weak. I mean, so that kind of describes, uh, what type of prospect prospect Nushram was. And I remember Paul Fritschner, one of the voices of the Bowie Bay Sox, uh, shout out to Paul and Adam pole over there in Bowie. Um, I know Paul was talking about how Neustrom went up to him and was saying like, I feel the power coming and this is coming. It's going to, I'm going to break out eventually. And when I do like it's over. And then it was like a week later, I think is when he hit that monster bomb in uh, Hartford, which Orioles players had some phenomenal performances in Hartford. Like I'm fine. If, if any affiliates, like we want a new affiliate in Hartford because I will gladly watch these guys play at that stadium. Um, but I think that was kind of his breakout moment. And from then on, it was a lot of home runs. The right field wall at Harbor Park, it's pretty hard to hit home runs in right field at Harbor Park because there's just that wind always coming in off the water over there. And I mean, guys like Neustrom and Stowers and Rutchman made it look easy. Like they're hitting balls out at, uh, at Frederick uh, back, you know, I know that was kind of a, a hitter's park down there. And I mean, Neustrom was a great story. And I kind of was thinking about it like next year. If you want to keep Stowers in AAA for a little bit longer, I get that. I understand that. This is a guy who I could see slow playing just a little bit, make sure he's completely refined before you bring him up to the the major leagues. But, like, I don't want DJ Stewart on this roster next year. Uh, Santander is is up in the air. I don't know if, do you want to pay him? Do you want to trade him? What happens there? Like, Nushroom is a guy who I could see making the roster next year as a fourth, fifth outfielder uh, and giving him an opportunity. Let's see what you got through the first month or two of the season. And if he's got it, great and if if not you you bring up stowers at that point
2: yeah i think my favorite home run of his was the inside the park home run where the guy fell through the gate so he's got speed too
0: (laughs) that that was a bizarre play that was down on Gwinnett. i remember that the right fielder jumps for the ball looks like he has it in his glove but then opens the bullpen gate when he jumps into it falls to the ground the ball comes out of his glove and then newstrom ends up with an inside the park home run that that yeah. was a bizarre play, but definitely one of the best of the 2021 season for me.
2: And that was memorable because that happened while we were in the press box in Bowie together.
0: <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So one of the players we saw that day in Bowie was Zach Watson, who, as I mentioned when I was introducing the outfielders, came through with probably one of the more surprising seasons on the farm system because, as Nick wrote in his report, some of the con- common uh, things we heard about Zach Watson coming into 2021, tweener. Speedy fourth outfielder type, light-hitting defensive outfielder. Well, he goes on to hit 21 home runs and 42 extra base hits overall while stealing 24 bases and playing a great center field night in and night out. Um, there were some things in there, like low walk rate, which we've talked about before, ended up as a two hundred forty eight average, but everything else, when you look at Watson, for me, he was a clear choice in center field. Um, Nick, what were your thoughts on his season?
1: I did not see that coming at all. Uh, the 21 home runs, at least uh, really great season. I mean, the walk rate and low average have always been an issue all season for me. Like he climbed pretty significantly up our top 50 list, but like what's really holding me back is that low average and low walk rate. But like going into 2022, I do feel confident in this player development system that maybe this was just a season of like, all right, just mash the baseball, like hit this thing as hard as you can. Let's get those high exit velocities get you comfortable in the batter's box. And then, you know, with Ryan, Ryan Mountcastle's progression, I know I've mentioned that a lot, you know, this guy who's never going to walk a lot and all that stuff, but Ryan Mountcastle did show a real progression at the end of the season. Uh, And so like, that gives me hope with a guy like Zach Watson with now he probably starts next year, maybe back in double A. We'll see how the outfield situation shakes out, but this is a guy who's going to start in double A, definitely playing triple A next season. Uh, maybe next year you start working on the plate discipline a little bit more now that he's comfortable with the plate. And he knows he can hit those home runs. Uh, I know he said in interviews that, like, that power's always been there. Like, that's nothing new for him, but we haven't seen it yet. Uh, So now we've seen it, and it was great. And Zach Watson is now just one of, I don't know, 15 outfield prospects that we can get excited about, like, legitimately excited about, which is going to be pretty cool to watch unfold over the next couple of years.
2: Yeah, I don't think he's ever going to hit much above 250, 255, but – If he can just get that walk right up just a little bit, maybe it doesn't have to be above average, but just just a little bit where it can play better. He's got the defense. He's got, obviously, the surprising power. So he didn't make it on my list, but he was definitely right off of it. So great season for him. Hopefully he can keep going next year.
0: That is actually a good um, segue here, Bob, because Nick and I, I believe, had the same outfield across the board, but you uh, gave a shout-out to two good prospects. One of which just narrowly missed my list, and that was Hudson Haskin, who I thought had a really good season between Delmarva and Aberdeen before uh, getting hurt during the summer and missing the rest of the year. And then Colton Cowser, the Orioles' first-round pick, who pretty much uh, lived up to the first-round billing between the Florida Complex League and Delmarva. Maybe the only you know complaint you can come away with that from is that uh, he was facing pitchers that were not up to his competition level, but. For a guy coming into Pro Ball, that was a great way to ease in and get started.
2: Yeah, it was just so above <laughs> it was like one seventy three WRC plus. So I was like, I gotta give him a shout out here. But I'm I'm actually glad he didn't make the list. You know, he's a top prospect. we will talking about him plenty going forward. So I'm glad Watson made it over him. But I oh, thought Hudson Haskin, yeah, he ended the year on the injured list, but I just thought he was pretty underrated. He was pretty solid and consistent all season. He showed a little bit of pop, some average, stolen bases, great defense. So I think he's a guy that people are sleeping on. Maybe could break out a little bit next year.
1: I can definitely see that. Uh, I think Hudson Haskin, a lot like Taron Vavra, Hudson Haskin performed like I was hoping he would perform this year. Uh, and so we finally got a better idea of what type of prospect he is, uh, which is a pretty good one. And there's no need to tinker with that unorthodox swing and, and everything that he has. Um, both good, good options. I almost thought about uh, as well, Christopher Cespedes, uh, 15 home runs, 24 doubles. Again, a, a guy who was kind of old when the Orioles drafted him in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft like two years ago and spent years in uh, rookie ball, like Dominican Summer League ball in the Indians organization. This was a very old prospect uh, who the Orioles grabbed, and then he didn't play for like almost two years. And they had a, a really great season and finished in high A where he hit even better. Him and T.T. Bowens just mashed baseballs in Aberdeen, uh, and he got rewarded with a new contract for next year. So that was a shout out to Chris for suspidus as well.
0: Completely agree. Cespedes, I think, was one of the best stories. Uh, you know, we were talking earlier about how Dorian was just a great – Patrick Dorian is just a great story this year. I think you could say the same with Christopher Cespedes. And when I saw the news that he was coming back for – that he's coming back for next season, I was thrilled. Um, good power, high exit velocities. Interested to see what he does next year. We'll go over the pitching staff now. And this might shock you, but we did include Grayson Rodriguez on our list. Uh, they're, you know – best pitching prospect in all minor league baseball lived up to that billing in more ways than one this season. And if you are a Patreon subscriber, you may have heard the segment that I did on Grayson Rodriguez as part of our year end recaps. And I made a case in there, and this is something we're going to have a lot of time to talk about that Grayson Rodriguez probably will be one of the best starting pitchers in camp next year. And that, you know, if service time manipulation is somehow eliminated in the collective bargaining agreement process, He's got to have an earnest shot to earn a, a rotation spot. But for now, just celebrate the fact that this guy went 9-1 and with a two three six ERA with 161 strikeouts and 103 innings pits, most of which came at double A. There's really nothing else, I guess, to say about Rodriguez other than that. He's great.
2: <laughs> yeah, he struck out more than 40% of the batters he faced. So, like, come on now. It's unfair to, to any of the hitters. I mean, we heard rumors that maybe they were selling gas cans in Norfolk, and if they would have, I think he would have done much of the same up there. I just think he is as close to Major League ready as you could be. He's pretty polished. Maybe I, I talk about I'm going to talk about this in tomorrow's uh, daily season recap of D.L. Hall, but he might have the better stuff, actually, than Grayson Rodriguez, but Grayson is just so polished. He's got such command of all of his pitches, and he he just knows how to pitch, and he's got that, the great mentality and just a great rapport with Adley Rutschman. I'm excited to see them work together again next season.
1: The only pitcher in full season affiliate ball qualified pitcher to have a strikeout rate over 40%. I mean, so yeah, super polished pitching prospect. Although like I could see the Orioles keeping him in AAA to start the year. Uh, if unless he's like spot on perfect in spring training i could see them saying hey go down for a couple of starts like forgetting forgetting about service time issues right now because that's something that we can't predict what's going to happen but i mentioned when i did the alley Rutschman episode that like i could see them starting grace and in triple a just to give him a couple of extra starts let him settle in get in nice and slow maybe let adley have his time at the major league level let us enjoy that for a little bit at camden yards before bringing grayson up and making a big show out of that but no doubt next year like I mean, that's, yeah, this season was trash. Like that was garbage at the major league level, but like you sit and really think about it. Like you get this moment where it's like next season. Yeah. We may still not be great, but like you are going to see Grayson Rodriguez and Adley Richmond
2: at the major league level. No questions about that. And that, that should be exciting for Orioles fans. Yeah. We're going to see a lot of exciting debuts, you know, Adley Grayson Stowers, Bradish, a lot of guys from the top 10, top 15. So mm-hmm it's not going to be the same. I already made a $20 bet with someone that we're not going to lose a hundred games next year. So they better live up to it.
0: So uh, we have a total of 10 pitchers on the list. So I'm going to run through them kind of in groups. And s- since Bob mentioned him, uh, Kyle Bradis was one of the former angels prospects that made our list. Um, he is on there along with Kyle Bronovitz and Zach peak. Three of those, p- those three pitchers came over from the angels in the Dylan Bundy trade. And then Gene Pinto, the fastest rising on the verge favorite pitching prospects for the summer of 2021, who was part of the Jose Iglesias trade last winter, makes the list as well. Uh, Braddis started out dominant at double A Bowie, went up to Norfolk and had some ups and downs there, but ended the season with a really strong September. It was great to see him uh, pitch through some of his struggles there and end the year in pretty dominant shape. Uh, Kyle Branovich. Really good command between Aberdeen and Bowie. And if you have seen the gif that Fangrass tweeted out recently, you know that his knuckle curveball is a sight to behold. And Zach Peak, um, who was one of those guys we were interested in coming into this year, but didn't know much about, ended up turning in a great season between Delmarva and Aberdeen and actually seemed to be getting better as the year went on, uh, even after the promotion to high A. And much like Peak, Gene Pinto seemed to get better as the year went on earning a promotion from the Florida Complex League to Del Marva. So those are four of the 10 pitchers on our list, Bradis, Bronovitz, Peek, and Pinto. I'll just start with Nick here. I know that you've written about the group of prospects that the Orioles have acquired from the Angels, including some of the players that are not in that camp. Uh, there are not on our list, like Jamai Jones, Garrett Stallings, Isaac Matson. What stands out to you about these guys, though?
1: that the guys who we consider the throw-ins, the lottery tickets, uh, are the studs of these deals. I mean, four guys made this list, our all-star team. Take that for what it's worth. All four, former Angels, as Vivek commented there. You look at the Orioles' strikeout leaderboard. uh, Grayson Rodriguez obviously was number one, but then it was Kyle Bradish number two, Kyle Branovich number three, Zach Peek at number four. Those three guys were three of the top four strikeout artists in this system. Uh, clearly the Orioles did their homework when researching these guys, they got them for basically nothing. I mean, I don't know what Dylan Bundy's done, but I never heard anything from Dylan Bundy after he threw up on the back of the mound. Like that was, (laughs) that was it for Dylan Bundy. I love Dylan. uh, And I I hope he can finish his, uh, his career on a high note, but like, the Orioles didn't really trade much of anything to get these four guys and they haven't proved it at the major league level yet. I get that. But like when we win the world series ring, like we need to send a ring over to the angels. Uh, I don't know. I don't know which GM, I know they had that change. I don't know which GM was in charge over there when they made all these deals, but uh, he deserves an Orioles ring uh, when we win this world (laughs) series, because this is fantastic to watch the success these four guys had.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, Michael Ias knows how to make a trade. He knows how to evaluate talent that he wants to acquire. So for all the people scared that he won't trade for pitching or a big piece at a deadline at some point, obviously he knows <laughs> what to trade for. These guys are amazing. They come out and they have great stuff. It makes you wonder what the heck are the angels thinking trading these guys, especially four of them for Bill and Buddy. I mean, come on. And Gene Pinto, we've we been on his bandwagon. We're the leaders of that bus. Get on any point. You know, we're here all day. So, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Pinto Pinto does have a special place in my heart as well
1: because Pinto's promotion from the FCL to uh, Del Marva was like the first news that like we broke that news, even though we got no credit for it whatsoever. Like all the other news we broke this season that we got no credit for, uh, but like so he has a special place in my heart for that reason, and to see him succeed is uh, even more awesome. And so yeah, I am definitely excited about uh, Gene Pinto, probably more so than the rest of these guys, just because that's not taking anything away from the other guys, but. Pinto's ceiling, like I don't even know if we know how high that could be. Yeah, so that's what makes
0: it so exciting. <laughs> yeah, all, all four were great this year, and I'm happy that they all made the list. And they were all unanimous choices. All three of us had all four of these pitchers on our list. Um, so it was in the end pretty easy choice for us to include Kyle Bronovitz, Kyle Braddis, Zach Peak, and Gene Pinto on the list. Uh, We'll now go as a group of pitchers that have been in the Orioles system for a while and, you know, in some ways either continued to do what they've done successfully over their careers or came back from either struggles or injuries to pitch well this year. That's Ofelke Peralta, a former top 30 prospect who seemingly was never going to get out of high A Frederick and then bounces back this year with a big season. Michael Ballman, who overcame an injury early on and some struggles when he came back from an injury initially, to be really dominant at AA, pits well at Norfolk, and make his Major League debut in September, and now a guy that I think could go into 2022 as a legitimate option to compete um, for a Major League rotation spot. And then also on that list, Drew Rahm, um, who went 11-1 and between Aberdeen and Bowie. As usual as Rahm, good ground ball numbers. Good strikeouts, not a lot of walks, and pitched well against older competition, uh, which is something he's done going back to his 2019 season at Del Marva. So Drew Rahm, uh, Michael Bauman, and oelki Peralta all make our all-star team. Bob, um, just out of those three, did any of them stand out to you more than the others, or um, was there kind of all uh, equal to you in some ways?
2: To me, Drew Rahm stood out. I mean, I was, he's like consistently underrated even by us. I feel like, I mean, he just consistently putting up the numbers. Yeah. He kind of reminds you of a Lothar or Wells as you know, they're performing as they come up, but those are college guys. I mean, Rom's out of high school. He's a lot younger than they were doing the same things as they were. So that makes me think a little bit higher than him. And even as late as going into September, I'm like. Yeah, he's having a good year. But then the way he finished the year was just amazing. He went, what, 18 or something, 19 straight scoreless innings, then had a scoreless start in the playoffs as well. I think he's out to prove something. Velocity or not, this guy can pitch. And I think he's going to, you know, really he's going to make it a triple A next year at, what, 22 years old. So that's that's something special. It's something I think we, re- we really need to recognize. And that's what we're doing with this All-Star team.
1: I completely forgot about that super long scoreless stretch he had. I do remember the playoff outing. I mean, a 21-year-old throwing five scoreless uh, innings in a playoffs is amazing. Uh, Sim contribute ask Roms K numbers. I have it all right here. Uh, 107 innings pitch, 120 strikeouts and only 26 walks. Uh, so the guys like he's methodical out there on the mound. Yeah. He takes, he takes a little, he takes his time out there a little bit, but you can tell he's thinking through each pitch and he knows exactly what he wants to do and how he wants to attack hitters. I think his maturity out there on the mound is unbelievable um 11 and one I know record I know pitching wins losses don't mean anything but like th- that's fun to look at at least 3.18 ERA a fantastic year the guy is just turned 21 as well so again just like Gunnar Henderson extremely young um Bauman for me was pretty uh I don't think I had Bauman on my list I can talk about the other two guys I had on my list later on but I didn't have him on my list but uh, it was you could tell like I got the sense when we had Matt Blood on that Bauman uh, not the yips, but like it, he was not confident in maybe his, his stuff or his health. That's the vibe that I got, at least, not to put any words in his mouth. Uh, and But you could tell, like, a, like, it was like a light switch went off, or went on with Michael Bauman. And he really started to turn it on at, in Bowie right before his promotion. And then he pitched really well in AAA before getting promoted to the Orioles, where, where I know it wasn't great, but that was his first taste of the big league. So I'm definitely excited again for Michael Bauman going into 2022.
2: Yeah, great comeback season from him. I mean, if you would have said he's making his major league debut after he's getting shelled a little bit in A, you know, it was like a light switch, like you said, and that's kind of why I'm not too worried that he struggled a little bit out of the gate at the end of his his uh, pitch count or innings count uh, at the end of the year at the major league level. He had a heck of a season, a roller coaster of a season. So give him a, a healthy off season where he can go into spring training ready to compete for a starting rotation spot, and I think he'll do a lot better.
0: I do want to go back to Rom for a minute. And this is one thing that stands out to me is that, yeah, he's always been a guy that kind of relies on, you know, locating his pitches, getting ground balls as part of his success, but his walk numbers have gradually gotten better. Uh, He walked just over 8% of his uh, batters at Delmarva in 2019. That number was just over 6% at Aberdeen and then at five and a half percent in Bowie this year. And if you want to equate that out over to walks per nine innings, he finished a 3.1 mark in 2019 compared to 2.2 in 2021. One thing we saw with Zach Lothar, and this is something we had noted a lot, was that the walk numbers seemed to get a little bit worse as he went up through the system, whereas ROMs are actually improving. And I think he has better pure stuff than Alexander Wells does. So that, to me, separates ROM a little bit from Lothar and Wells is that his command has stayed consistent, if not gotten a little bit better. And I think his stuff is better than Wells is to begin with.
1: Yeah, no doubt there. And I think it was good to see Alex Wells and Zach Louther in the big leagues this year, because like for me, I could better get a better sense of guys like Drew Rom in the minor leagues when I'm watching him. And I do agree that Drew Rahm. Uh, has much better stuff than Alex Wells uh, and take that for what it's worth, because I think Alex Wells might be able to survive a couple of years, maybe in the Orioles bullpen. Uh, we'll see, but I don't think he was terrible at the major league level. Uh, but that's a really great point about the walks looking at those now. Yeah. To see those walk numbers trend down as he moves up. I think that says a whole lot about uh, the future uh, prospects for Drew Rahman and what he can do in this organization.
2: Just wait till he gets to work with Adley. Yeah. True. Never got that opportunity.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, two more pitchers that I want to highlight before on our list before we move on to the Arizona Fall League talk. Uh, Brandon Young, who was an, another undrafted free agent in 2020, although like J.D. Mundy, he's a guy that definitely would have been drafted had he uh, had we had a longer draft in 2020. He started off really well at Del Mar, but got to promotion to Aberdeen and got better as the year went on. Um, so he ends up earning a nod on our all-star team. And then the closer, you know that this is another guy that quickly became a favorite of ours this year, the big man Felix Batista. Um, Walks could sometimes be a concern. You didn't know where that fastball was going sometimes, but it didn't really matter when he was striking out 77 batters in 46 and two-thirds innings pitched. Uh, He has to go into 2022 with how bad the Orioles' bullpen is right now and for how good he was in the minor leagues. I really hope that he goes into spring training with a shot of actually making that bullpen. So I'll just start off with Nick here. Your general thoughts on Brandon Young and the season he put together as a starter and then what Felix Batista did in the bullpen.
1: Uh, with the young he had a great season. Again, piled up the strikeouts. Uh tall guy seems to be that prototypical pitcher that Michael Elias likes. And you know, after talking with you know John Mioli a couple of weeks ago, and it seems like the Orioles are internally pretty high on Brandon Young. So I get the sense that I don't know, we'll see. I know John Mioli's working on his baseball America the top 30 list, and hopefully we can have him want to talk about that uh, when he releases that later on in the in the Later on in the winter, but I get the sense that maybe the Brandon Young hype train is going to start rolling out pretty soon. Even if it's just you know Orioles guys kind of feeding that information out to beat writers and really pushing that narrative on Brandon Young next year, like Cal Bradish last year, uh, I could see that happening. Batista is just the guy is just I, I want conf- I want confirmation on height and weight because I mean we've heard what six seven six eight two seventy five I don't know what it is and I want confirmation on this because it is a very large human being. And I do not want to step in the batter's box against him, I'll tell you that. Um, Fantastic strikeout numbers. I think he deserves an opportunity, no doubt. Um, And also, I didn't say anything about Ophelki Peralta now that I mentioned it. And I just want to throw this out there. Like, Ophelki Peralta should not be in baseball right now. He should not be in professional baseball whatsoever. Four years in A-ball, signed in 2013, yet here he is. I think he cracks the
2: Major League roster at some point next year. So, another fantastic story. I mean, if they didn't get rid of Frederick as a minor league team, he might never have made it. So, you know, that <laughs> hurdle was removed, and he flew up the up the rankings. Oh, sorry, and I'll talk about these guys too. <laughs> Brandon Young, yeah, I think he's a rising star in this organization. Um, he, his stuff seemed to get better, and his confidence seemed to get, you know, better as the season went on. And like Nick has mentioned before, his he felt like his stuff improved as he went up the ladder. Um, when he, once he got to Aberdeen, it really started to, to all click for him. And I think, yeah, he's going to be a guy that will be up in Billy at some point next year and we will probably be, just keep rising up our top 30 in rankings. And Baltista, I was honestly surprised he didn't get a shot at the end of the year. Just get him on the 40 man, you know, ahead of time into the offseason and give him a taste. Well, who cares? Like just he could give up 10 runs in an inning and it doesn't matter because it's the Orioles of 2021. But uh yeah, hopefully he gets a chance next year. And I want to see him. Someone said a right-handed Tanner Scott. Yeah, maybe a little bit, but he no one hits him. He, he's the only way he can get hurt is if he walks bases loaded and then walks him in. It seems like so.
0: Just be fun to watch him
2: get a shot. Maybe he'll he'll be good. I don't know at the major league level, but he get, we got to at least see it to
0: believe it. One thing I do want to throw out there about Brandon Young: if you listen to Zach Peek on our show a couple of weeks ago, you know that when Zach Peak was looking for tips on his curveball, he went to Brandon Young. Brandon Young was one of the guys that he talked to. So Zach Peake makes our all-star team, and so does Brandon Young. Uh, so both guys had big seasons. I will give uh, Bob and Nick a chance to mention some of the pitchers that they had on their list that did not make it. For Nick, that was Noah DeNoyner and David LeBron. So um, Nick, just give us a little bit of background on those guys and why you uh, had them on your list. Both had very good seasons.
1: Yeah. Denoyer is just a name I've mentioned a couple of times on the show. I, I loved his story so much. He finished two levels, finished in high A and he pitched like dominant in high A, especially walks were a major issue at the beginning of the year, but he seemed to really control those as the year went on five and three with a 2.76 ERA and 81 strikeouts this season across two levels. So I had him on my list, uh, he deserves a shout out, I think, and I also had David Lebron because you know, Lebron very quietly he was six and zero with a three point five six ERA and one hundred six strikeouts in seventy three innings at the bullpen in Bowie and Bowie in Norfolk, and I mean he was a major reason why Bowie made it to the playoffs because I know Bowie's bullpen wasn't always the best and they had their struggles, but David Lebron was really consistent and consistently gave you three, four, or five innings out of the pen, so I think he had a really great year. And could be, I don't know. I mean, the walks are kind of an issue with him as well, but maybe he's a guy we see up for a game or two at some point next year. I don't know, but he's definitely name at least to watch next year going into AAA, I think.
2: Yeah, I think the only guy I had was Alexander Wells, and I know he, he lost his prospect status, and he struggled at the major league level. But, I mean, after a kind of a rocky start with the way, you know, things got going for him uh, this season, he had a really great season in AAA with 3.29 ERA and barely walked anybody. So I just felt like he he deserves some love for the way that he performed at the AAA level. And it was kind of like uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with him. He was like great at AAA and then not so great at the majors. So hopefully he can kind of bridge that gap a little bit in 2022, even if it's out of the bullpen.
0: So that is our minor league all-star team for the 2021 season. If you want to see the full list with uh, reports, Head over to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com, and you can jump on the message board there and uh, join the discussion. And you can also see that I put the list there uh, to piggyback on Nick's reports, which were excellent on these players. Just put a list in of the players that received votes that did not make the team. So that's on there as well. So to check that out, head over to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. We do have a listener question here that I will take real quick, and this is from uh, Shane Jones is the CBA going to affect the draft order? Um, that's a question we really don't have a firm answer to. Um, for right now, I would say that, you know, uh, if you listen to John Meoli on our show a few weeks ago, uh, John actually wrote about this to the Baltimore Sun. And while it is possible that the, you know, draft order stays exactly the same. And in fact, it could be likely um, if the players aren't willing to sacrifice something in the negotiations to make that happen. There is a sense that maybe in the CBA negotiations, there's a chance to shake up the draft a little bit. Um, Disincentivize tanking, I guess, in the process. And that could mean the Orioles aren't guaranteed the number one pick.
2: I personally think there's no chance it changes. Maybe it changes for the future, but I I think it's too late in the game to change it for this upcoming draft, even if it does change. So, I mean, of course I could be wrong, but I think it's safe to assume we have the number one pick at this point.
1: I'm not worrying about that. We're, we got the number one pick next year. That's they're not going to change it this close, but again, who knows? But yeah, that's, I'm, I'm focused on the Arizona fall league right now.
0: Yeah, and we'll head right over to that now. And just to go through um, the list here, there's a handful of prospects out in um, Arizona right now. A lot of them are guys that missed some time due to injuries this year, but that I think, at various points have been on the radar for their prospect status. And that's guys like Greg Collin, an infielder that they got from the, the Orioles got from the Braves as part of the Tommy Malone trade. Remember that, uh, feels like a years ago, you know, it feels like a decade ago, but it was last year. And, uh, Colin was productive when healthy this year, but did miss a lot of time. Um, Connor Lopritz who missed some time due to injury. Cameron Bissop, who, um, looked really sharp for Bowie, a left-hander, uh, kind of going back and forth between their rotation in the bullpen before missing time due to injury. And Nick Vespi, who might have supplanted Felix Batista as a closer on our all-star list, if not for some time that was lost due to injury. Um, also on the list out in Arizona for the Fall League, our right-handed pitcher, Logan Gillespie, catcher, Ramon Rodriguez, and then Kyle Stowers and fellow outfielder, Yusneel Diaz. Um So I guess that I'll just start with this question before we get into specific players, which is, what are you guys looking for um, in the Arizona Fall League? Because it feels like stats accumulated over a small sample size, um, and the Arizona Fall League does have a reputation for skewing towards hitters a little more than pitchers. So for you, are you going to be looking at the stats to figure out, are these guys showing improvement, or is there going to be more to it than that? even though we're going to have pretty limited access.
2: I mean, personally, uh, I think I'm pretty sure Rylan Bannon destroyed the Arizona Fall League in 2019 after 2019 season. And we saw how he how he performed in 2021. So I'm not sure you can take too much away from the stats. I think I wanted to see some reports, especially on Diaz. What is he looking like? You know, what's his body language look, looking like? How stowers like, you know, is he wearing down after the long season? And you know, I just more about the reports than the stats for me
1: yeah i with stowers i just want to see consistency uh and hope he's going to face a lot of really talented pitchers out there as well so even if he does struggle like i mean he could hit you know 175 in the arizona fall league and i'm not going to be concerned at all i mean it would be great to see him finish really strong and like i mentioned earlier rolling the spring trainer on a high note but at the same time the pitchers that norfolk faced this year i don't think were really like fantastic like they faced mike wright a couple of times you know so like in triple a um I just want to see a little bit of consistency there. Diaz, I just want to see him like swing a baseball bat, and actually hit a baseball. Uh, that would be great, a, a good first step for him. Um, but in most of these guys, I think, what, five or six of the eight on this list, I think five of the eight on that list all missed significant time with injury, like a month or more. So it's just about innings with this group. No real top prospects other than you know Kyle Stowers, obviously, but just – <laughs> I Just forgot play. I was going to say. We'll move Just on. play the games.
2: Yeah, get some, you know, get some get bats and innings under their belt and get ready for next season.
0: Lowpritz is one guy that, that's kind of interesting to me, and I missed this at the time, but back before the season when Eric Longenhagen put together his uh top forty-five list for the Orioles over at Fangraphs, he had a couple more arms to watch um section down at the bottom of that report, and he actually mentioned Lopritz. And this is what he wrote in the time, and this is before the 2021 season. Uh, Talking about Lopritz's fastball, he said that it, quote, has an awful lot of spin, nearly 2,500 RPM on average for how slow it is, 89 to 92 in 2019. I looked before the show, and I couldn't find any updated VLO information on Lopritz, but that high-spin fastball is something we know kind of jives with how the Orioles target pitchers, especially right-handers. So I will be interested to see how he looks out there because this is a guy that missed some time this year because of injury. Yeah, I just hope that
1: someone for the Orioles, one of the beat writers at least, I and mean, send John Mioli out there uh, to get some some good reports. Or I mean, there's so many just fantastic, just unbelievable uh, prospect guys and, and women out there in Arizona right now. Uh, the videos were already flooding the timeline today since you know MLB doesn't want to stream these games. Uh, but Lowbridge is definitely someone that like. I know personally, I would love to get video of him out there in Arizona. I would love for for someone to have access to him out there and really understand what he's doing. Cause that's a guy like we know nothing about, like, I don't know about you guys, but I know nothing about this guy. And there was like one start. I went back earlier and watched when they were in Brooklyn because you know, Aberdeen had no announcer. They had the, no social media presence, really. They had nothing coming out of mm-hmm. Aberdeen. So we don't, and Lope, that's where Loper pitched most of the year when he wasn't in, rehabbing in FCL. So we just don't know anything about him. And I watched that start in Brooklyn again the other day in preparation for the show. And like, I liked what I saw Curveball was nasty. I was striking guys out. He had four strikeouts. Three of them were on that curveball. He uh, You had Ronnie Marcuccio, one of the Mets top prospects. I mean, he made him look silly. So there's definitely something there. You see a little bit there and, you know, for Logan Hagen to put him in that little extra section. Yeah. He's not a top Orioles prospect, but I feel like you have to have a really big standout tool for Logan Hagen to include you in the back end of that list. So that piques my interest a little bit as well with him.
2: And I do think he might be a little underrated because he was pretty unlucky in high a. His BABIP was near 400 against him and his home run fly ball rate was over 20%. So, and, and with short sample size, that can definitely add up to some poor numbers. His, his FIP or his XFIP might've been a lot lower. I should have wrote that down, but uh, I think, you know, he'll be 24 years old or 25 years old next year. So kind of a last chance a bit to be a bit of kind of a prospect. So get him some innings and hopefully he can stretch out and start some games in Aberdeen and Bowie next year.
1: Yeah. I think the XFIP was like more than two runs lower than his ERA when I was looking at that earlier. So definitely a big difference.
0: Yeah. I mentioned Vespi a minute ago as a guy who, you know, had he managed to stay healthy and stay as productive as he was at Bowie might've ended up making our all-star team. Um, in 19 innings at Bowie, he had a 1.42 ERA with 26 strikeouts against nine walks. When he went to Norfolk, he only ended up throwing 19 two thirds innings there. Again, missed a lot of time as injury, but struggled a little bit more to AAA level. It's a 6.86 ERA, uh, even as he struck out 25 batters. He did, I believe, just sign a contract to come back to the Orioles for 2022. So, looking at a guy like him, who we know is a pretty sharp pitcher when he's healthy. Uh, what do you want to see from him in Arizona?
2: Just get some innings in. Again, it's like, you know, and he's he'll be facing some, you know, Spencer Torkelson's and there's some Brett Beatty's. There's a lot of good hitters out there. So just some, get some good experience. And he's 26 years old, or he, at least he will be next year. So, you know, he's this is his time. So he's got to put together his performance. And hopefully he can, like you said, he signed a minor league deal for us next year. So it would be awesome to see him make his major league debut at some point in 2022. And he's got the stuff to be an effective left-handed reliever for sure. I mean, he could at least do as good as Paul Fry did in the second half of the season.
1: Yeah, I think the fact that the Orioles re-signed him tells you pretty much everything you need to know. Like, yeah, the numbers in Norfolk were not great. They were pretty bad, to be totally honest. But he had a couple, you know, pretty good outings in that mix as well. But, again, like just looking at the box scores doesn't tell you the whole information. And so we also don't know what that injury was. At least I don't know what the injury was that caused him to miss like five weeks after just like a flat-out dominant start in double a to begin the year i mean he had like 19 strikeouts or something in his first like nine or 10 innings uh he looked like he was gonna be a lockdown closer in Bowie uh before the injury but maybe that had a significant impact on him to close up the year i wouldn't be surprised if that was the case so yeah definitely an older guy but a guy who also transitioned i think largely as a starter to a reliever so it might be a late bloomer here as well i hope he makes a major league next year because i love the way he attacks hitters and the hair the hair is <laughs> 80 great hair
2: Yeah. And another guy whose ERA and AAA was 6.86, but his XFIP was 4.18. So definitely some bad luck involved as well.
0: Yeah. And just to give our listeners a little bit of context on the timeline here for Vespi, he was placed on the seven-day IL at Bowie on May 25th and was not activated until July 2nd and was in Norfolk by July 27th. So a quick turnaround time between coming off the IL at AA and then making the jump to AAA.
1: That, that was really surprising, actually, that he got promoted so quickly. Like He had what, two, three weeks of rehab, and then you're up in AAA, the highest levels of the minor leagues, that you never pitched at before. So I mean, maybe the organization is just that high on him.
0: So the one name that I think was a little surprising for us when we saw him on the list was Ramon Rodriguez. Uh, because I think that when we think about you know sort of those glove-first catchers at the A-ball level, we are, our mind automatically goes to Maverick Handley. And I think that was a guy that we had actually speculated a while ago could be in the fall league, but Rodriguez has an interesting background. He was actually originally drafted by the Dodgers was released um, in the summer of 2020 amid the pandemic gets picked up by the Orioles and played at three levels this year. Um, Aberdeen Bowie and Delmarva spending most of that time at Delmarva, 26 games there compared to 22 in Aberdeen with another six in Bowie. Um, the bat, was not great, although his numbers were good over a small sample size in Aberdeen. But apparently a pitcher or a catcher that pitchers really love throwing to. Um, Zach Peake talked about that when he was on a few weeks ago. Reports that we have heard a little bit on his defense are pretty positive. So I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I think for Rodriguez, this is an opportunity to catch some really advanced pitching to get more eyes on him and maybe the Orioles start to see him as another guy who fits in that mold of someone who's in the system, who gives us a lot of values as defense and his defense might help him get to the big leagues and his ability to work with pitchers might help him get there. Even if he is a backup catcher.
2: Yeah. I don't know how much playing time he's going to get because one of the best catching prospects in baseball, Gabriel Moreno from the blue Jays is on that team. Um, But he's on the taxi squad. Maybe he's just a friendly glove for the Orioles pitchers to get to throw to. But yeah, like you said, it's the best kind of organizational filler you can have is a guy who can follow a great game, provide some good defense for your pitchers and add some value in that way. And he's still young and catchers develop slow. So you never know. Maybe they see something in him that they like. And it's pretty cool for him to get this shot, even though I, I do think it should have been Maverick Hanley. But maybe, you know, he was banged up too much. They just want to get him to rest over the offseason
1: yeah i imagine that probably is the case with maverick Camley and with rodriguez i mean i guess i kept thinking as you were talking zach i kept thinking like austin Wins kept coming to my mind like is this the new austin Wins in the organization I and mean, which is fine because guys in the system love throwing to austin Wins. that's why he's been around it seems like for a decade in the system uh but yeah i'm interested to know what that taxi squad means in the arizona fall league like is he ever going to play or is he is he there just in case of emergency like or is he just going to be like a bullpen catcher? I don't know. But at the end of the day, like he gets to catch some really great pitchers over there and gets to, gets to learn from,
0: like you mentioned, top prospects on his own
1: team. So good experience nonetheless.
0: So, you know, just going over the whole list of guys in Arizona, we talked about Stowers earlier. We've talked about Vespi and Lopritz. Uh, we've discussed UCL Diaz ad nauseum this year, I feel like. Um, but I do want to go to him now. Uh, my personal feeling is that, and Bob mentioned earlier, the reports. You know, you got to look at the reports from places. You know, hopefully we get an Orioles beat writer out there. But then, aside from that, places like Baseball America, MLB Pipeline, uh, look at what they have to say. If they're writing about Diaz and they say Diaz is moving around the field better than he has all year, and is hitting the ball hard and looks good in the outfield, and he hits two forty, I would be happier with that than a hollow three for nine or some really small sample size, mostly spent at D8s, to be honest. Because I, I just want to know how healthy is he and is there a chance that some of the Euseniel Diaz that we saw before 2021 is still in there?
2: Yeah, you said ad nauseum. It's more like ad nausea when you're talking about Euseniel Diaz. But uh, yeah, let's just see what he can do. Let's see if his body language, let's see if the uh, like having a clean slate, what that does for his mindset. And, you know, if he can go out there and just perform and just get his head back in the game. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe I'm making too much of that kind of stuff. But it's just maybe they should have said Ryan Ripken out there instead that Arizona Fall League. I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of Diaz. I just want to see him show up at spring training, give his best shot, and we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is tough. I mean, I hope he feels the pressure, to be totally honest. Like, I hope he feels all the weight of the world on his shoulders knowing that he has to perform in Arizona to to have any shot next year. Um, but I kind of had this thought when I was thinking about it, the thought that popped into my head, and this is probably like way off base and probably not true at all, but I'm wondering if there's a small piece of Michael Elias who like, he sent Diaz out to Arizona because A, he's he's he-, he is healthy, and maybe it was just terrible luck, end of a bad season, just everything that went on and Diaz was just like, I'm done with this year. So go out to Arizona, good weather, have fun out there. But I wonder if there's a small piece on Mike Elias who is hoping, like, if we send Diaz out there, and let's say on the chance that he catches lightning in a bottle in that small sample size, and the data looks good, and there are some good reports on Diaz coming out there, Mike Elias can enter the offseason and say, Hey, Marlins, hey, whoever else needs an outfielder, we got this prospect here, and I'm willing to deal. So I I wonder if that could be
0: a situation that happens.
1: I don't know. Colorado Rockies,
0: what's up? (laughs) Yeah. Hey, UCL Diaz. Give us Zach Bean. <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: you no, know, I was about to say, like, throw him in with an Anthony Santander type player. See, you know, if that boosts your trade return a little bit. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't honestly. make that trade if I were on the other end, but the yeah. Orioles could try that if they wanted to. Would not them. hurt
2: my feelings. Yeah.
0: So, Bob, Nick, just any thoughts in general on some of the guys we have not talked about in the fall week? Um, I know we mentioned all the names. We've given everybody a little bit of coverage, but. Anything with the rest of the group, guys like Colin, Bishop, Gillespie?
2: Yeah, i say Gillespie's interesting. You know, he's he's kind of an older relief prospect, but he throws hard. He had a 3.47 XFIP in AA compared to like a 5.6 ERA. Um, so interesting arm there. He missed some time, I believe. Stowers, I'm really excited that they decided to send him. The more I think about it, the more I think it just means they're super high on him. And I think it, they want to extend him like a full season length of games. Get him used to that for next year because I think he'll definitely, you know, A will start in April and then he'll finish in Baltimore in September. And let's see who else. Colin, I think he's kind of like Taron Vavra's little brother. He's kind of has a similar skill set, like left-handed hitting, second baseman, ton of walks, not a lot of power, but he can hit for average. So pretty excited to see what he can do. And I think that's about it. Oh, Cameron yeah. Bishop, I mean – continue what he's doing. I was pretty excited with his first half of the season. And, you know, he might be a guy that's starting in AAA at some point next year. So definitely get his innings up so that he can hit that threshold next year.
1: Yeah, I think Bishop, again, it was at Hartford when he struck out 12 guys uh, early in the year. Um, I wonder if like Justin Ramsey moves up to AAA as well with uh, Buck Britton. And so maybe that puts helps put Bishop uh, in a position to maybe crack a major league roster at some point. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead. I know this isn't a prediction show, but I have a bold prediction, I think, as far as prospects next year. And he's not really a prospect, I know, but like a minor league uh, bold prediction next year. Uh, I think Greg Cullen's going to be a breakout uh, guy next year. Um, I, get, I, I see, i do not Not saying he's going to be a future major leaguer, but I see a path for him at least. I love his playing style. So I think he, I'm calling it out. He's going to be a breakout in 2022. We'll see what exactly that means. But yeah, uh Gillespie is also kind of interesting. I mean, he throws at like ninety-eight miles an hour. Um, so and he was the guy who came in after Grayson Rodriguez. Like every Rodriguez start when he left, it was uh Gillespie that came in. And so guy that got from the Brewers, and you know, talking about like Drew Roms, the walk numbers go down as he moves up, uh, Gillespie actually like the strikeout numbers as he's moved up in the system, uh, with the Brewers, the strikeout numbers weren't really great. But when he came over here and joined uh, Aberdeen and then Bowie, like the strikeout numbers went significantly up and he was not a high strikeout guy with the Brewers. So maybe the Orioles unlocked something there with him.
2: Yeah. And and Colin, I actually wrote down in my notes that they're setting him up to be 2022's uh, Patrick Dorian. So I think we're mm-hmm. thinking along the same lines there.
0: Really, really small sample size, only 24 games of Bowie, but he had a 120 WRC plus um, in that stretch with a walk rate of almost 23%. Take that as you will, because it is a small sample size, but it leads me to believe that there's something there at the bat, if he can get healthy, if he can get regular at-bats somewhere next year. Bishop was a guy that early in the season I had identified as maybe another case of where a pitcher getting out of Frederick was a good thing for him because Bishop was really good in 2018 at Del Marva. Saw some of his numbers, especially his ERA and his walk numbers, regressed at Frederick in 2019, but then came out of the gate, really sharp for Bowie, that 12 strikeout start against Hartford, really being the highlight. And I think he was a guy that before the injury was someone you looked at as a possible fast riser that was going to get a lot of time at Norfolk. Um, and Gillespie, just to, or Gillespie just to, try to piggyback off of what Nick said, and that's a really good point about his strikeouts. Um, the last time we saw him on the mound before 2021 was at low A in the Brewer system in 2019. 92 strikeouts and 109 innings pitched. This season he comes out as 52 strikeouts and 41 and two-thirds. So that's a big jump uh, to see if he can sustain that going forward. would be really interesting.
2: He's 2022's Eric Hanhold. You heard it here first.
0: <laughs> Which means he'll get, Hey, he'll get some uh, relief outings in the majors uh, before the season ends in 2022. Hopefully with a better Orioles scene than what Eric Hanhold uh, pits for. So um, we uh, had a pretty in-depth show there looking at our minor league all stars and our Arizona fall league preview. And we'll be back next week with more um, coverage here as we're going to have our offseason predictions. So, you know, we love to make predictions here on On the Verge. We may also get into some of the arbitration-eligible uh, players that the Orioles have on their Major League roster and try to figure out exactly how the Orioles are going to plan their offseason season uh, with some possible non-tender candidates on the list, like Pedro Severino. Um, and then the harder questions surrounding guys like Trey Mancini and Anthony Santander – about whether or not there's a trade market for them. So look forward to that next week when we are back on Mondays, our regular night for recording. Um, in the meantime, continue to follow us on Twitter at BSL in the Verds. Be sure to check out Baltimore sports and life for Nick's minor league, all-star piece, a lot of great Ravens coverage and more over on the site and be sure to join the message board there. Um, so for Bob Phelan and Oh, Nick's got one thing to say here.
1: Yeah. I, I want to mention one thing before we go though. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw David Hess in his tweet earlier, but like, I just want to shout out David Hess and like say like we're thinking about him that they discovered he has a cancerous tumor on his chest, pushing down on his heart and his lungs, uh, and he starts chemotherapy on Monday apparently, according to his tweet. So like, uh, all the best to David Hess and his family moving forward. Hope you absolutely,
2: yeah. I did not see that. That's terrible. So yeah, definitely going to be giving him good vibes. Definitely.
0: Yeah, best wishes to David uh, this offseason. Yeah, off Hopefully, he's able to make a recovery. We'll be back next week uh, for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. This is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge.